0: Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Tonight uh, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 24. So I'd just like to take a few moments to review what we were looking at a couple of weeks back. notice in the uh, chapters we've just been looking at uh, a couple of weeks back, particularly the, uh, I believe, a certain design that's in Genesis chapter 21, 22, and 23, and 24. Uh, Let's just take a moment to review what we were sharing there. So we've said uh, many times the Old Testament is the type, and the New Testament the anti-type, And uh, in these chapters that we've got here, we'll just uh, condense it here. Genesis chapter 21, we saw the birth of Isaac, the miracle birth of Isaac, and uh, typifying the birth of the only begotten son. Isaac, the only begotten son in the Old Testament, and uh, Jesus, the only begotten son in the New Testament. And then in Genesis chapter 22 we saw that we have the typical death and resurrection of this only begotten Son. And it shadows forth the actual death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've said so many times, all through the Old Testament God is getting men to do typically what he himself will fulfill actually. Very important to always keep that in mind. So we, we are seeing all through the Old Testament uh, shadows, shadowings and tipper, uh, t- uh, types of the coming gospel age. So as I've said so many times, uh, it's like God the Father saying to Abraham, all right, you're a father, you're going to have a, uh, a miracle birth of an only begotten son, and this son is to be offered up typically in death and resurrection. So I want you to do typically with your only begotten son what I'm going to do actually with my only begotten son. Then in Genesis chapter 23, we see the death of Sarah. Sarah, the mother of Isaac, the mother of the only begotten son, typifying Israel. Because after the miraculous birth of the only begotten son and after his typical death and resurrection, Sarah dies after Israel had fulfilled her major ministry in bringing forth the miracle begotten Son and the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, national Israel dies. Then we come to the chapter we're going to be looking at tonight, Genesis chapter 24, in which now we see a bride chosen for the only begotten Son. So uh, we believe there's a divine order here, the miraculous birth of the only begotten Son, uh, the death and resurrection of the only begotten son, the death of the mother, Sarah, and now after the death of the mother, we have the, uh, the bride chosen for this only begotten son. And we believe all that this shadows forth is what we see in the Gospels. The Gospels present to us the birth of the Lord Jesus as God's only begotten son. And the Gospels present uh, his death and resurrection And then Galatians more particularly deals with the changeover of the covenants from the old covenant to the new covenant. And then the epistles, particularly the uh, Ephesian epistle, deals with the church as the bride of Christ. So uh, just shadowing forth everything there in the Old Testament. All right, now let's go over to Genesis chapter 24 here. And you'll notice that we really have the 67 verses in this chapter. The Holy Spirit has inspired 67 verses uh, concerning the choice of the bride for Isaac. Uh, in fact, it's one of the longest chapters in the, in the Bible, one of the longest chapters, particularly in the book of, of Genesis, uh, 67 verses. So what I'd like to do just for our, our session tonight is break this up into about five sections And uh, we'll put it on the board so it'll just be uh, a general outline that we can follow. Section one of the chapter we have the father's desire, the father's desire for a bride for his son. And the burden of this is found in verses 1 through to 9. And then section 2 of the chapter is the emphasis now on the servant. And we see the servant who is sent into a far country to seek this bride. Who is sent into a far country. And this is dealt with in verses 10 through to 14. And then the third section of the chapter is the emphasis on the bride herself, where the bride is found at a well. And this is covered particularly in verses 15 through to 28. And then the fourth section of the chapter, we have the qualifications of the bride. Qualifications of the bride. And uh, in fact, the qualifications and the preparation. I'd like to get both those words there. Qualification and preparation. And uh, this is dealt with in verses... I'm going to put verses 15 to 28 again, verses 15 to 28, and also verses 29 through to 58. And then the final section of the chapter, we have the marriage of Isaac and uh, Rebekah. The marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. And this is verses 59 through to 67. All right, let me just uh, run through that again, breaking this chapter up, such a long chapter, into five major uh, sections here. The father's desire for a bride, uh, the servant sent to a far country to seek a bride, the bride found at a well, and then uh, the qualifications and preparations of the bride, and then it closes with the marriage of the bride to Isaac. Now you'll notice that there are three particular persons in this chapter that we want to look at, we're going to look at the father and then the servant and then the bride. And uh, four particular persons, pardon me, the father, the servant, the bride and of course the marriage to Isaac, the only son, the only begotten son. So, four particular uh, persons. All right, now, uh, the natural the natural wedding that takes place here and the natural preparation, the natural seeking for the bride for Isaac, the historical thing becomes also prophetical and typical. So the father, Abraham represents the father God. He becomes type of the father God. The servant, as we'll see, uh, becomes a type of the Holy Spirit. And then the bride, of course, becomes a type of the church as the bride of Christ and then of course uh, the only begotten son Isaac becomes a type of Jesus. So we have four persons here that we want to look at on the, their particular work here. All right, let's just take a few thoughts then from uh, section 1 verses 1 through to 9, the father's uh, desire to, uh, for a bride for his only begotten son Isaac. Now you'll notice in verse 1, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I'll make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac, So you'll see that the emphasis here is that the father expresses a desire that his son uh, find a bride, that this servant go and and find a a bride for his only son. And uh, we can see how that the whole thing here shadows forth that which is in the father's heart. The heart of the father God has been from eternity that he would find a bride for his only begotten son. In fact, I'd like you to turn to two interesting scriptures. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1 and the first uh, verse in the Bible and then we'll go to the last, uh, some of the last verses in the Bible. <laughs> in uh, Genesis chapter 1, and verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Here we have the first mention of the Holy Spirit in the Scripture, and I'd like you to notice the last mention of the, of the Spirit in the Scripture, <coughs> Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. Revelation 22 verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will let him take of the word or of life freely. Now, you'll notice the first mention of the Spirit in the Bible is the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters. And the last mention of the Holy Spirit in, in, the, in the Bible is the Spirit associated with the bride. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And uh, whatever way you look at the Bible, there's so many facets we can look at, but the, the whole theme that runs through the Bible is that God is looking for a bride for his only begotten Son. It's the heart of the Father, right back in eternity. Uh, According to Paul, that uh, in eternity, in the eternal purpose of God, God had in mind that he wanted a bride for his Son. So just as Abraham the Father expresses to his servant his desire that he wants a bride for his only begotten Son, so this uh, shadows forth that the Father God has in his heart and has right from eternity that he desires a bride for his son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the whole purpose of the Spirit moving in the beginning and the whole theme uh, through the Bible is the revelation of the great mysteries. Uh, he says, I, 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 uh, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Let's go over to the verse I've quoted in Ephesians 5, Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll take from verse 25, Hebrews, um, I mean, Ephesians 5, verse 25, "'Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should be holy and without blemish.' Then going down to verse uh, 30, "'For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones,' For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So uh, what does Paul do here? He goes way back to the book of Genesis, way back to the first bride, the first sinless bride. He doesn't take all the other brides that we've mentioned on previous occasions. There's about uh, 10 or 11 types of the bride of Christ in the Old Testament and uh, but Paul goes way back to the first bride to Eve and uh, takes the prophecy out of Adam's mouth where uh, Adam said we, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh uh, and for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Paul takes the uh, very prophecy, the very word out of Adam's mouth and he applies it to Christ and the church uh, and so it just uh, confirms the fact that the father has always desired a bride for his only begotten son. Alright, so the father Abraham and his desire and purpose for his only begotten son to have a bride uh, typifies the father God and his desire for a bride for his only begotten son. Alright, let's go to the next section for a few thoughts here. Verses 10 through to 14 now. uh, Back to Genesis 24. The next uh, important person here is the servant. The servant who was sent to uh, seek abroad. Now, it's an interesting thing here to go through here that uh, this whole chapter, the name of the servant is never mentioned once in this chapter. We have in the chapter now the father talking to an unnamed servant. Now, this isn't to say that the servant doesn't have a name, but the servant is unnamed, in this chapter, some suggest that the, his elder servant well, was Eliezer, uh, found in chapter 15. But uh, the servant is not named here. And I think that's a very significant thing because the servant person in the Godhead is the Holy Spirit. And uh, when the servant is sent to the far country, just as the Father sent the Holy Spirit to earth, the far country from the heavenly country, uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to speak of himself. He doesn't come to glorify himself. He's here in the earth for a mission. In fact, Jesus said, when the Spirit is come, he will not speak of himself. He'll not speak from himself. He'll glorify me. So you can see the beautiful picture that we have here. The whole purpose of the servant was to glorify the Son and glorify the Father. The whole purpose of the servant was uh, to fulfill the commission for which he'd been sent, and that was to seek a bride. And so that's the uh, desire of the Holy Spirit. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 26, uh, just quoting this, John 14, verse 26, uh, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will be sent in my name, and in John uh, 15, verse 26, he says that when the Spirit is come, he will not speak of or from himself, but he will speak of me and glorify me. And so uh, here we have Abraham the Father sending his servant who is not named right through the chapter. As I said, this is not to say he doesn't have a name. He certainly does, and the Holy Spirit has a name. But he's come not to speak of himself, but to speak uh, of the Father and to speak of the Son. Now, let's go on to the next part here. In uh, section 3, the bride found at the well, the uh, bride representing the church, Rebecca the bride representing the church, Let's go down to, uh, let's see, I'd like to go down to verse 10. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day, and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink, and she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also, let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. Now it's a very interesting thing that there are a number of brides that were found at a well. So he goes to the well and uh, here in the evening time the bride, Rebecca, comes to the well to water the sheep. Uh, Let me just quote some of those who found their bride at a well. And all this shadows forth that the Lord Jesus Christ would find his bride. At a well, at the wells of salvation. Uh, Exodus chapter 2, Moses found his bride at a well. Genesis chapter 29, Jacob, he found his bride at a well. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, the chapter we're considering here, uh, Isaac found his bride at a well. And then we can relate this to uh, John chapter 4, where Jesus. Talking to the woman of Samaria at the well and pointing to the well of salvation. <clears throat> so uh, we see at least one, two, three brides in the Old Testament that are found at a well. And Isaiah chapter 12 says, Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. So Moses found his bride as a well. Isaac found his bride as a well. Uh, Jacob found his bride at, at a well. And Jesus, all these men, Moses, uh, Isaac and Jesus, all types of Christ, yet each of them find their bride at a well. And so the church is going to be found at the well, uh, drinking out of the wells of salvation. <coughs> so uh, we see, see this pattern all the way through. <coughs> all right, so the bride found at a well, uh, uh, the church found at the wells of salvation. All right, let's go to section number four now. And uh, this is the main area I'd like to spend uh, some time on because we have the qualifications and preparation of the bride. (coughs) Pardon me. Let's uh, go over to a, (coughs) pardon me, my voice has had it. Uh, Revelation chapter 19 (coughs) and uh, verses 7 and 8 I'd like to uh, sort of apply here. speaking of the church as the bride of Christ and just relating it to the qualifications here Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7 it says let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready so as we go back to this section in uh, Genesis chapter 24 we see the qualifications preparation of the bride where the bride is ready she makes herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, or clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And so just as these brides were found at a while, well and they had certain qualifications, certain preparation before the marriage, it all shadows forth the qualifications and the preparation for the bride of Christ before the marriage, before the marriage of Christ and his church. So I'd like to go through... Uh, some of these uh, qualifications here. All right, let's go back to uh, chapter 24 now. And I'd like to give about uh, 10 or 12 qualifications that we see of the bride here and uh, just to try and keep it... uh, uh, in a pretty uh, orderly fashion here, I'll say number one. So about 10 or 12 qualifications we're going to look at here. The first one I've already mentioned, the first one is that the, the bride was found at a well. So the well points to the well of salvation, drinking water at the wells of salvation. So number one qualification of the bride unless she's at the well of salvation she'll just be another woman now it's very interesting to go to to let's see verse 11 here The servant comes to the well and he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. Now there was going to be a lot of people there, a lot of women that were going to come to this well, but only one would be chosen to be the bride. I'm sure as the women gathered that day at the well to draw water, none of them knew that one would be chosen to be the bride. But God saw that amongst that company there would be somebody who would qualify. I uh, don't need to interpret that. I hope the Holy Spirit will to you. Second qualification in verse 16 It says, uh, the damsel was very fair to look upon. The uh, picture of the bride in the Song of Solomon is like this too. Uh, uh, Thou art very fair, thou art fair, my love. And uh, right through the Song of Solomon, that word is used uh, quite a lot. So the bride of Christ is going to be very fair, good to look upon. The third qualification here is a challenging one. She was not only very fair to look upon, she was a virgin. She was a virgin. And the scripture is very clear here uh, in verse 16. The damsel was very fair or good of countenance to look upon. A virgin neither had any man known her. I'd like to uh, look at a couple of scriptures here on this point. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we could take the uh, natural today because uh, virginity is becoming almost a thing of the past. But uh, if you saw what the qualifications in the scripture were, that's the most priceless thing a woman has that she can preserve until she is married. Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse two, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he says, "For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband." that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So here Paul writing to the Corinthian church, his concern is, he said, I've espoused you to one husband and his desire is that he might present the church as a chaste virgin to Christ. Let's go over to... Uh, Leviticus chapter 21, Leviticus chapter 21, and you can think of the parable of the virgins, the wise virgins, foolish virgins, (coughs) the necessity of having oil. The wise virgins went into the marriage. The foolish virgins didn't have enough. You can think of the 144,000 virgins in the book of Revelation. It is very particular that the type of church she's going to marry is going to be a virgin church. She's going to be chaste and pure. She's not going to be flirting with the world or with other lovers. And I've said this before and you can take it for what it's worth. I know the general teaching is that every Christian is in the bride of Christ. I think if you care to study the scriptures that there's certain qualifications to be in the bride. And uh, when James writes to the believers, he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity at God? And for a Christian to flirt with the world when they're supposed to be engaged to Jesus Christ, to be married to him, I think they're on very dangerous ground. So while we have the general teaching, everybody's in the bride of Christ, regardless of grace or disgrace, you don't have to qualify to be in the bride. And we have a lot of loose living Christians. See, who don't aim for any holiness of life or keeping themselves pure. Because, are we're all in the bride. I don't want to say too much on what I think about it. I just want to challenge you. Leviticus chapter 21. And verse 10, God was very particular about the bride, uh, the high priest married. And we could take the natural and the spiritual here. I've talked to some kids in college and uh, you can think I'm legalistic, but I think uh, you should be careful who you marry. You want to marry somebody that's been with a dozen guys? guess that's your problem. Glad my wife was a virgin. I'm glad I was a virgin when I got married. It's the highest. Thank you, Doug. The Lord bless you real good. <laughs> Appreciate that. I'm talking about a standard. All right, verse 10. Look at the high standard that God had for the high priest. And he that is high priest among his brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garment shall not uncover his head nor rend his clothes, neither shall he go into any dead body nor defile himself for his father or for his mother, neither shall he go out of the sanctuary nor profane the sanctuary of his God, for the crown of the anointing oil of his God is upon him, I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity. A widow, or a divorced woman, or profane, or a harlot these shall he not take but he shall take a virgin of his own people to wife neither shall he profane his seed among his people for the Lord do sanctify him now why was God so particular about the high priest and his marriage why didn't God say to the high priest you can marry who you like it doesn't matter if the person's a widow doesn't matter if they're divorced or profane or harlot just marry who you please God laid down very exacting laws for the ministry of the high priest. I'm just hoping the Holy Spirit will say to you what uh, I don't want to say, but we'll just take the type of it and then we'll be safe. Jesus Christ is our high priest. And what sort of a bride is he going to marry? Is he going to marry national Israel or natural Israel? Because the Bible tells us that natural Israel is a widow. Natural Israel played the harlot. Natural Israel was divorced. Natural Israel was profane. So I can assure you on that basis that Jesus Christ is not going to marry natural national Israel who is divorced, a widow, profane and harlot he's going to marry a church any old church a church that doesn't believe in the inspiration of the scriptures church that doesn't believe in miracles a church that doesn't believe in holiness a church that denies the virgin birth a church that denies the bible is that the is that the bride of christ How many believe that his bride is going to qualify? It's going to have a virgin church. That's the highest standard of purity. I'm just saying all that because why were these men picked out? They must marry a virgin. And Paul says, I'm concerned about you as a Corinthian church. I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So that's a very, very... Strong qualification. All right, back to Corinthians again. Back to Genesis again. Pardon me. So, number one, she was found at a well. Number two, she was very fair. Number three, she was a virgin. Number four, another qualification notice here. She was found with the sheep. She was a shepherdess. She was in pastoral ministry. Feeding the sheep. Number five, she was the appointed bride. You'll note the use of the word appointed in verse 14. Uh, Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And verse 44. And she say to me, both drink thou, and I will also draw for thy camels. Yet let the same be the woman whom the Lord hath appointed out for my master's son. So she was an appointed bride. Go over to a very peculiar verse in in the Song of Solomon. Chapter 6, Song of Solomon, chapter 6. Very peculiar verses unless God's got something in mind about the type of church he's going to be joined to. Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 8. There are three score queens and fourscore concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my undefiled, she is but one. She is the only one of a mother. She's the choice one of her... of her to bare her, the daughters saw her, and blessed her. Yea, the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. Who is she? Who is she? That looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, terrible as an army with banners. Oh, very peculiar verse! But uh, do you think that there are various companies of God's people, queens, concubines? I just have to restrain myself on interpreting some of these things. What is a concubine? Virgins without number. Foolish virgins, wise virgins. But my dove, my underfire, she's but one. She's the only one. She's the choice one. She's, She's fair as the moon, clear as the sun. Terrible as an army with banners. Think of the woman in Revelation chapter 12 who is clothed with the sun standing in the moon, all clothed with light, the virgin church. So she's the appointed bride. All right, next point here. Uh, She's, uh, back to Genesis, she's a very industrious person to this uh, bride. She's not a lazy little woman. (laughs) She's very industrious. In fact, uh, you'll notice how she's just running all the time, she's so busy. In verse 18, and she said, Drink, my lord, and she hastened let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. Industrious, verse 20, And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again into the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. Um, verse 17, back to verse 17, She went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. Now, you, you just put yourself in the position of this uh, woman, you know. You're, uh, here's a fella that comes from a far country. He's got ten camels with him and a few other things. And uh, he's standing at the well and all of a sudden these various virgins from the city turn up. But one of them is going to be chosen to be the bride. He doesn't know which one. And... Uh, in this type of thing, the Lord's going to have to work on both ends. So the servant, he's prayed a prayer. And you see, you know, the the absolute sovereignty of God in this. He's prayed a prayer and this is what his prayer is. He says, um, let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray that that I may drink. Now that's all he was going to say. Just uh, let down your pitcher, I want to drink. But God's going to have to move upon the heart of the one that's chosen to be the bride and say, look, you drink and I'll give you camels to drink also. So, here Rebecca comes out. Uh, I'm not sure about, about the uh, interpretation of a name. It means a noose. <laughs> I guess it can be used in a positive sense. She was going to get a noose around her neck when she was married to Isaac. <laughs> What's that? She ensnared. Yes, you snare too. Uh, so, whatever that is. Uh, so, you picture, you know, here's the servant, and he's praying that God, in his sovereignty, God the Father, in his sovereignty, would work in behalf of Father Abraham and work in behalf of the only begotten Son. So, God the Father has to work. In behalf of the father Abraham and the only begotten son Isaac in uh, getting this bride, he has to move on behalf of the servant. The whole thing is sovereignty here. And so here Rebecca comes. She doesn't know she's going to be the bride. None of us know who's going to be in the bride. She didn't know. And so she says, yes. I'll give you a drink, and I'll not only give you a drink, I'll give you ten camel's drink. Well, you know, when you study the old camel, spitting things, they are. And how much does the average camel drink? Especially if he's got a couple of humps. And those guys just siphon it in by the gallon. How much does an average camel drink? And this servant is just standing there, letting the poor girl do all the work. And, you know, letting down the pitcher, winding up the water, and giving this camel, he just siphons the thing in one mouthful. You dirty old camel, what are you so thirsty for? Ten of them. And, you know, when you get camels to kneel down, I was in the Middle East, and, oh, brother, those camels, they spit at you, and (laughs) what have you. Think. And uh, that's a pretty burdensome job feeding those spitty old camels. But the very camels that she fed, she never or gave to drink, she never knew that they were going to be the camels that were going to take her back to the only begotten son to a bridegroom. Ten. One of them was the lead camel. Nine camels and number 10, the lead camel. Nine gifts of the Spirit, nine fruit of the Spirit, nine the number of the Holy Spirit. What is the lead into that? So, the very thing she was giving drinky was going to support her and take her way back to the Only Begotten Son. But she was willing to do it, so she's characterized by willingness, uh, industriousness. Now, Next important thing—I don't know where you're up on your notes. I'm just picking out some of you. All right. Next one, anyway, is I want you to note the use of the word willingness. It's used at least four times, and and this is very interesting—that the real concern of the servant here, and he says this right to the father Abraham before he goes into the far country looking for this bride. His whole concern is, say if she's not willing, say if she's not willing. Look at the verses where this uh, is is referred to. Verse 5. And the servant said unto him, unto Abraham, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? He's concerned that she will not be willing. Verse 8. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath, only bring not my son thither again. Verse 39, And I said unto my master, Peradventure the woman will not follow me. And verse 58, When they finally uh, call Rebekah, they call Rebekah and they said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? Wilt thou have this man to be thy lawful wedded wife? And she said, I will. That was the whole test, willingness. Willingness. Has to be a free will. We can't enslave people's wills. The kingdom of God is built on free will. loving. Free Will Submission. Ayatollah, Khomeini, and uh, Castro, and Communism, Socialism, what do they try to do? Have someone with a strong will that forces everybody's will to submit to their will. No freedom of speech, no freedom of thought, no freedom of choice, the iron will. But you can't do it in the Kingdom of God. If I was God, I'd like to save everybody against their will. I'd like to see every sinner saved, wouldn't you? I'd like to force him to get saved. I'd like to get them saved against their will. How many would like to do that? But you can't do it. Every time you go out in personal evangelism, you are depending upon someone's free will. You're appealing to their free will to submit their will to the will of God. Will they accept Jesus Christ? You'd like to make them. You'd like to force them. You can't do it. As I said before, if God took people to heaven against their will, they'd just throw it up at God and say, well, I didn't want to come to heaven. You forced me to accept Christ. You made me accept him against my will. I didn't want to. I wanted to live my own life. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to be a free will agent and exercise my free will and self-will. And you just forced me. It would turn heaven into hell. And so God the Creator respects the free will that he gave us. And so it is in the kingdom of God. You can't make people come to the meeting. You can't make people pay tithes. Some people don't want to pay tithes. You can't make them. You can only appeal to their free will. I wouldn't like to be them when they stand before the Lord. You can't make people come to action night meetings. You can't make people come to the You can't make people do anything. You can only appeal to your free will and say, well, is your will submitted enough to the will of the Lord? Well, you, I want to do I'm willing to go. Huh? The, whole, the whole kingdom of God is on the basis of free will where we submit our free will to his will. Lovingly, voluntarily. You cannot run the kingdom by force. And that's what one thing, one of the major things all preachers, teachers and all of us have to respect whether it's in personal evangelism you have to respect the person's free will. If they want to go to hell you have to respect their free will. God does and that's hard. Kingdoms of this world are run by force of forcing everybody's will to submit to some dictator will. Not in the kingdom See, the choice is a free will, love slave. I will not go out free. I want to be a love slave to my master's will. How I many he can say amen. That's, that's the whole thing. And so that's what he's concerned. Save she's not willing. So it was the greatest joy when she said, I will. Wilt thou go with this man? It's the greatest joy to bride and bridegroom. when they say, wilt thou have this man to be thy lawful wedded husband? Will you have this woman to be your lawful wedded I will. A thousand times I will. (laughs) Wilt thou? And she wilted. You can't... uh... (laughs) Free will. (laughs) Old thing. All right, now, uh, next point here. You'll note the preparation of this bride for the son. In um, verse 10 and 22, let's pick up verse 10 and 22 and 53, and then we'll comment. In verse 10 we're told the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed for all the goods of his master were in his hand. God the Father, as Abraham the Father gave all his goods to the hand of his servant in order to seek this bride in the far country, God the Father has given all that he has to the Holy Spirit and sent him into the far country earth to seek a bride for his son. In verse 22... When he finds this bride, that she's a damsel fair to look upon, she's a virgin, she hasn't defiled herself with other men, she's industrious, she's at the well, she's feeding sheep. Uh, What does he do in verse 22? And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, thirsty lot, that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel of weight. So, gold earring for her ear because she's soon going to hear the voice of the only begotten son, but she has to listen to the voice of the servant, because on the way to the marriage, the servant is going to talk to her, and he's going to reveal the only begotten son to her. The golden earring, and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold. Her hands are going to be used in service in due time. And so he gives her gifts, verse 53 of the same chapter. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to uh, Rebekah. So jewels of, of silver, the atonement, redemption, jewels of gold, divine nature, raiment, the bride made herself ready. Uh, to her was given white raiment that she should be clothed and, uh, and ra- uh, raiment clean and white. So here at Rebekah, is adorned with silver, truths of the atonement, truths of redemption with gold, truths of the divine nature and character, and and raiment. She's to be adorned as a bride. Isaiah chapter 61 puts it this way, concerning the bride, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my God, in the Lord my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation... He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. So here is the bride decked with jewels of silver and gold and raiment. The church, all this is provided from the Father through the Holy Spirit for the church to be prepared. So just as Rebecca the bride has given gifts given raiment, all in preparation, given from the servants, so the church. Not her own garments, but those provided for her by the servant to meet the groom. All right, uh, the next point here, a couple more before we, uh, time's up here. The next point is that uh, when the time comes, Rebecca's parents try to detain her Verse 55, and her brother and her mother said, let the damsel abide with us a few days, at least ten, after that she, uh, she shall go. And he said unto them, hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, we'll call the damsel, and quiet her mouth. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. And they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and a nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. Now the thing that we note here is, but the bride, and, and, and boy, you know, this was, this was uh, you, you know, you'd have to say, a calculated risk. If you didn't believe God was in it, I mean, you put yourself in this girl's position. Rebecca, a guy turns out from a far country, you don't know who he is, and uh, he says, well, will you go with me and I'll marry you after somebody else? That'd take a lot of faith. Wouldn't you think? Uh, a lot of risk. So she must be, must have believed that God was in it and here she is going to marry a guy she's never seen. How many of you fellows and how many of you girls would do it? Wouldn't you like to check your bride out first before you're married? And they say, boy, who am I marrying? Is she like this or like this? Or <laughs> right. why? Is she wearing bikini suits? Or <clears throat> what sort of a bride she is? Boy, this is a pretty risky thing. <laughs> so what is the point that she, she was going to see a bride that she'd only heard of but never seen, whom having not seen, yet she loved. And what do you think was in the conversation on that? It's a pretty rough ride back to uh, Isaac on those camels. It wasn't the jumbo jet rough old ride, those camels. And what do you think the servant was saying to the bride? Listen, I want to tell you about the bridegroom. I want to tell you about his miracle birth. His mother was old. And in due time, God did a miracle and Isaac was born. His name means laughter. He's a great guy. He's just full of joy. I want to tell you about his life story. He's a man that's characterized by wells. He's all the time digging wells of salvation. Isaac's the man of the well. And let me tell you about his miraculous death and resurrection. The father took him up on Mount Moriah. Three days journey, there was two witnesses there. And then he was offered up in Taipi and then raised from the dead. And so the servant's not talking of himself, but he's telling the bride all about the begotten son. What do you think is going on in the heart of the bride? Wow, I just can't wait to meet him. I can't wait to meet my bride that has had a miracle birth. Born of a virgin, Sarah. Miraculous death and resurrection. And he wants me to be his bride. What do you think our hearts, how should our hearts respond as the Holy Spirit takes the things of Jesus and makes them real to our hearts? When the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, I want to tell you about Jesus, his virgin birth his miraculous birth his ministry I want to tell you about his death and resurrection I want to tell you how he's in this far country and he's looking for a bride and I've come to prepare a bride do you think her heart was just going out in love to him I just can't wait to meet him does your heart and does my heart go out in love to him I just can't wait to meet Jesus is the Holy Spirit taking the things of Jesus and making them real to our hearts that's what the servant did. Can you say amen? amen? Drawing our hearts, looking for that marriage, that meeting in the air. So the servant didn't speak of himself, he was speaking of the Son. He pointed to the only begotten Son. Let's go down to the last point then here, the last section, verses 59 through to 67. It's very beautiful. Oh, verse 60 I'd like to comment on. Just before uh, she leaves the home, they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. Now this is quite a remarkable prophecy because you see, in Genesis chapter 22, when Isaac is being offered... God spoke from heaven and gave a prophecy about Isaac and he said, uh, Thy seed, he said to Abraham concerning Isaac, Thy seed will be as the stars for multitude and as the sand for multitude, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Now here is the bride in a different country. And how remarkable that the same prophecy is given over the bridegroom as is given over the bride. The same prophecy is given concerning the bride in a far country as given over the bridegroom in a far country. And the same prophecies are given concerning Christ and his church, even though we're in different countries. He's in a country. What country is he in? The heavenly country, the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 11 There's a heavenly country. So Jesus Christ as the bridegroom is in a heavenly country but the same prophecies coming to the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Possess the gate of thine enemies. How remarkable that God seems to be working on both ends here. You'd think God was in this marriage, wouldn't you? All right, verse 61 onwards just as we finish. And Rebekah arose and the damsels rode upon the camels, followed the man and the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And now notice the meeting in the air here. Isaac came from the way of the well Lahiror. So he's coming from a well. The only begotten son at a well, the bride's been found at a well. And Isaac went out to meditate, to pray, to meditate in the field at even time. What is the field? The field is the... So Isaac is coming. He's coming out to the field. He's coming back to this world at eventide. We are in the eventide of this dispensation. And he lifted up his eyes and saw and behold the camels were coming. Hallelujah. It would be nice to sing the, uh, the camel train song, wouldn't it? And Rebecca lifted up her eyes And when she saw Isaac, look what's happening here. He's coming, coming out from the well, coming to the field, lifts up his eyes and he sees the bride and the bride lifts up her eyes and she sees him. One day we're going to see him face to face. He'll come for us and we'll go to meet him in the air. What a meeting that'll be and she said to the servant what man is this that walks in the field to meet us the servant had said it's my master and look she took a veil and covered herself you know there's so many of our customs today why well i don't know some do and some don't but my wife did anyway when i married her she had a veil upon her face in fact i was so excited when they pronounced me husband and wife, as husband and wife, I went to run out the door, and she said, aren't you going to kiss me? And then I went to kiss her through the veil. <laughs> you know, oh, I'd never been married before, it was the time of my life. <laughs> so I had to lift the veil. So here's the only begotten son coming out to the field and Jesus is going to leave the heavenly country and he's going to come out to the field, to the world and lift up his eyes and the bride's going to be caught up to meet him. The veil will be taken away and we're going to live happily ever after. What a marriage. What a marriage. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.